St. Joseph's Health presents another edition of its podcast, St. Joseph's Health Medcast. St. Joseph's Health Hospital is celebrating the 50th anniversary of its neonatal intensive care unit, or NICU. In 1970, St. Joseph's was the first hospital within 50 miles of Syracuse to open a preemie care center for infants experiencing health challenges. Since then, the hospital continues to balance family-centered maternity services with the technology and services required as a level three prenatal center. And in this episode, we're talking about how moms can try to prevent premature birth. But if it does happen, what parents can do to cope with the stress of having a baby in the NICU. So let's learn more with Dr. Christopher LaRussa, an OBGYN, and Dr. Jonathan Chai, a neonatologist and director of newborn service at St. Joseph's Health. Dr. LaRussa and Dr. Chai, thank you both for your time. Dr. LaRussa, let's start with you. When a woman thinks that she's pregnant, what's the first thing she should do? Well, that's a, a great question. A lot of women worry uh, the moment they get pregnant, what did I do? What have I done uh, this past uh, short while that I shouldn't have done, and they start to think a lot of bad things. I think the first thing you could do after confirming the pregnancy is to just simply pick up the phone, call the uh, office to uh, let us know that you're pregnant. We can kind of figure out about how far along you are. Our nurses are trained, and even our telephone people, to quickly ask some of the more common things. Are you on any medications that maybe you have questions about? Do you have any other medical issues that maybe we would want to know about so that we could see you know, sooner or later. But I would say as a general statement, women should not immediately stop all their medications. Uh, ideally, they would have already been taking a prenatal vitamin, but if not, they would want to start that. And then it's more just common sense things. Think about what other risks you may have, health risks, as well as maybe habits, some of which may not be uh, good habits that you would want to try to address and make sure that we're aware of and just generally take good care of yourself, pay attention to what you eat, uh, continue exercising, so to speak, and then let us see you within generally a couple of weeks or so, two to three weeks, depending on when they're calling. So they've had some time to do a little bit of research and uh, we have some time to catch them early and then we can address some of their concerns and questions more pointedly. So the health of the mom is number one, and you did mention taking a prenatal vitamin. Can you talk a little bit more about that and the importance of taking a prenatal vitamin? Well, vitamins are very important, and uh, like I just uh, stated, uh, women ideally should be on vitamins uh, at least a month before they would decide to start trying to conceive. And it's just because a lot of the us potentially aren't eating as well as we could, and prenatal vitamins have a lot of important things that even a very small early pregnancy would benefit from uh, iron, which is more for the mom, but is also very important for the baby. Uh, The folic acid is very important. And that's why most vitamins in general that are over the counter will have a higher amount of uh, folic acid, which is what women need because women are of uh, childbearing age need a higher amount. So making sure women are taking that vitamin is important ideally from the beginning. It's uh, in some studies been associated with a lower incidence of babies that are uh, small for gestational age, which means they're too small for what they should be as they're developing. The omega-3 fatty acids are important as well. Uh, and then, like I say, they have other things that pregnant women need more. So a prenatal vitamin is very important, uh, and I would say is probably the number one thing women can do as they are considering pregnancy and definitely in the early 
first trimester. Okay, well, that's really good to know. And then preterm birth can't always be prevented, but moms-to-be can help lower their chances of going into labor too soon. So what are some of those things they can do, Dr. LaRussa? Well, some of the things we've already talked about, which is just uh, maintaining their health and managing any other medical issues, taking the prenatal vitamin, uh, probably one of the most obvious things is keeping your uh, regularly scheduled appointments and actively engaging in your prenatal care so that you can discuss ongoing issues uh, that may be developing. Uh, You're checking women's weight gain. You're checking their blood pressure and making sure that their weight is good. They're exercising. uh, They're eating a good, well-balanced diet. If they've admitted to smoking and other illicit drug use or drinking occasionally, you can kind of follow that because that those are hard habits to break, uh, even when you're pregnant. And just things in general to reduce the stress in your life. So exercising, we've already said, is important. Trying to get as much sleep as you can. All of those things have been shown to be very beneficial. Um, and I think it's intuitive for most women, uh, but all the food choices and dietary challenges a lot of us face now really watching what you eat is also important. So speaking of those food choices, I often hear things like don't eat raw meat or fish or stay away from unpasteurized cheese, even, you know, don't change the cat litter, all of those things you shouldn't do. Can you talk about those a little bit? Well, those concerns probably center around the infections that also you're potentially putting yourself at risk for. So I frequently tell, I have women tell me rather they they haven't been to a deli in months and You know, it's the cross-contamination between the unpasteurized cheese and some of the parasites that can live there. It's the parasites and bacteria in the undercooked meats and especially raw meats. So sushi is out, the raw sushi. And just, you know, when it comes to cat litter, you you don't have to be obsessive or over the top, but there is a parasite that outdoor cats carry and can bring in the house. And so in all cases, even if it was the cat litter where you're just limiting, changing it only when you absolutely had to, it's just good hand hygiene, washing your hands, and again, just common sense things. But those are mainly to reduce the risk of infections that pregnant women and the baby especially are uniquely susceptible to during a pregnancy. All those are really important points to remember, and thank you for that, Dr. LaRussa. Dr. Chai, let's turn to you now and a few questions for you. So having a baby is life-changing Having a baby in the NICU is life-altering. How can parents avoid letting stress and anxiety take over as they find their footing in the NICU? The NICU is definitely uh, a very intimidating place. Um, It can be real hard for the parents to see past the monitors and the wires and the tubes that sometimes, you know, have to be there for the baby to actually see their baby. Um, But it's... uh, important to know that even the smallest babies, even babies on respiratory support ventilators um, can be touched and held by their parents. And that's very, very important. Uh, We very much promote what's called skin to skin contact, putting the baby's uh, skin up against the mom's or dad's skin. Um, That's uh, been shown to improve bonding. Um, It actually reduces parental stress. Um, It improves mom's milk supply um, if she's breastfeeding, um, and it actually helps babies babies as well. It it reduces their pain responses. um, It improves their vital signs and improves their growth. So the other thing that that, uh, we 
promote in our unit um, is making sure that the parents are as involved in decision-making as possible. Um, we have daily rounds when we get our, our nurses and um, practitioners and the physicians and other, other staff together, uh, talk about the babies, report on their results, and make a plan for the day. And we invite the parents to be involved in that, so they participate right there with us. Um, and that, that's very empowering to them, and I think that, that helps. Yeah, and uh, for sure, they want to be involved as well. So you were mentioning how important that skin-to-skin bonding is. Is that possible with a medically fragile child? You were talking about how daunting it is to see your child hooked up with wires and tubes. How, how, how do you do that skin-to-skin? How do you right. bond with a medically fragile child? Again, we very much promote that, and we try to do it if possible. And it's not always possible, but as long as the baby's stable, we will try to do it as soon after the baby's born as is feasible because we know that um, early contact with the baby has really lifelong effects on bonding later on. Um, and we would just try to work around the, the, the apparatus that, that the baby's um, you know, hooked up to. Um, we get the, the parent by the bedside and we just carefully you know, lift the baby to them and we can snuggle them in. Even if they're connected to a ventilator, we can, we can get them with the parent that way. And then when it comes to this bonding, can you talk about bonding via touch, hearing, and smell and the best way for parents to engage with their baby that way? Yeah. So we, we teach the parents, you know, the best ways to, um, to interact with the baby. And certainly skin to skin is the, the first and foremost but there are other techniques that we teach them. You know, babies appreciate more of a steady, gentle pressure rather than stroking. Stroking can be a little bit overstimulating. So we, we teach them that. Um, just they, they recognize parents' voices, so, so the parents should talk to them. They can play uh, quiet music. Um, and they certainly are going to learn the parents' smell as well. And it's, it's uh, you know, definitely... Uh, discourage any perfumes or colognes. They want to just get the parent's natural, you know, smell. Yeah, using all of those senses sounds like is really important for bonding then. And I love how you say you go the extra mile to, yeah. to make sure the parent can do that, even with a medically fragile child. So then when parents are getting ready to leave the NICU, what sort of support do parents receive from your staff when they're finally getting ready to leave the NICU? Yeah, well, we hopefully, through the whole hospitalization, we're getting the parents as involved as possible. We let as much of the baby care as the parents feel up to doing, we'll encourage them to do. But certainly as we get closer to discharge, we're going to expect them to do more and more of it. Um, We often will offer what we call an overnight stay. So we have a special room where the parent can actually come and stay with the baby in the in the room um, for a night or two before going home, so they could kind of get a little bit more used to um, being the main one taking care of the baby, but the staff are right outside the door if they need help. We we have a whole series of education things that we go over with the parents to make sure that they you know they're properly educated on all the care aspects before they go home, and then we certainly set up all their their follow up appointments and go over that with them before they go. I'd like to add one more comment. One thing that I was impressed with when I came to St. Joe's, and I've had many babies come through that intensive care unit, some of which were even family members, uh, babies, 
they have a yearly uh, kind of an anniversary celebration. And I know they maintain a lot of contact with these families after they leave to continue to support them even months and months down the road and even years later. So I I was very impressed with that. And, and I don't know how many other hospitals offer that level of follow-up uh, aftercare uh, as well. So I, I wanted to make sure everybody knew that. Well, I'm very glad you added that in and said that, Dr. LaRussa. That's good to know and important to know how you feel as well about that. So, Dr. LaRussa, let's stay with you. Last question for both of you. How important is it for moms to practice self-care? As far as self-care, you know, just being more aware that this, and Dr. Chai said this a moment ago, other than the stress of the NICU baby being life-altering, you know, Bringing a new baby into your home is obviously life-altering, even if it's a full-term healthy baby. So what I stress with my patients is as soon as they feel up to it, you know, within medical reason, you know, whatever's reasonable, even with C-section patients, it's trying to help them resume or maintain some semblance of, I hate to say the normal life, but the pre-baby life. So finding ways to do things for yourself. And if that's this time of the year where the weather's changing, getting out and just walking around the neighborhood or like going on a drive for no reason at all, um, coming to your visit and then going shopping at the grocery store to pick up stuff for your baby, although necessary, that's not doing something for yourself. So I encourage women to, you know, try to engage in their hobbies again, maybe meet their girlfriends out for uh, lunch, uh, not just women that are moms necessarily, but just try to find your old life, so to speak, so that you're not overwhelmed with 24-7 being a parent. And I don't know many patients at all who don't understand that it's not that hard to find that balance. Uh, some people just innately get overwhelmed and need a little more care. But I think most people intuitively will want to go back to doing those things. And then they're going to be happier and they're going to be a better mom. They're going to be a better wife, a better partner. So I think it's kind of same things that we would all know that we want to be able to do to a, to a degree. Right. That makes sense. And Dr. Chai, let's bring you in on this question to talk about how important it is for moms to practice self-care. Yeah, I think for uh, particularly for moms with that have a baby in the NICU and then that that baby may be, you know, in the hospital for several weeks. Sometimes we see that the parents have a hard time letting go and taking time for themselves that they want to be there you know, 24-7 for the baby, but then they get burned out and exhausted and you can't really care for someone else unless you're also caring for yourself. So we definitely start to, you know, we, we watch for that and we try to encourage them to get out and take time for themselves. Another thing is that for just, you know, specific to moms that are breastfeeding, it is important to make sure you, you, you know, to get good rest good hydration and good nutrition to be able to provide for the baby. Right. And that overall message, you have to care for yourself first so you can care for your baby. Great thoughts today, gentlemen. Thank you both very much for your time. Oh, yeah. Well, we're glad to have been here. And uh, it was informative for me, too. I, I like hearing Dr. Chai tell us what goes on in our NICU. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. That's Dr. Christopher LaRussa and OBGYN. And Dr. Jonathan Chai. And for more information, please visit sjhsyr.org slash women. 
That's sjhsyr.org slash women. And if you found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and check out the entire podcast library of topics of interest to you. This is St. Joseph's Health MedCast from St. Joseph's Health. I'm Bill Klaproth. Thanks for listening.